0: long time ago, and it's funny in a way, but it has a moral to it, a real good moral. People, takes different things for them to make it in the testing hours and testing times, and uh, I read this, and it was telling about a man that was driving in the desert, and he saw three men, they was loaded down with burdens, I mean, it was hot, and they had great big things on their back carrying them through the hot burning desert and he got up to them and he noticed this one man had a bucket of water on his shoulder and a sack of rags and he asked him said why are you carrying that bucket of water and that sack of rags on your shoulders and this hot burning desert and he said well it's like this when it gets so hot I get gone as far as I can go well, he said I set that bucket down I get me a rag out of the sack and I put it in the water and I wipe my face off with it and it gives me strength enough to go on. And so that's fine. So he asked the other, he thought that's odd, that's weird that he had to carry a bucket of water and a bag of old sacks, but he asked the other that was behind him and he was carrying a safe on his shoulders through the hot burning sands. He said, why are you carrying that safe on your shoulder? And he said, well, it's like this when it gets so hot. I get so tired and so weary that I can't go on any farther. He said, I put the safe down, and I open it, and I get some money out of it, I give it to the fellow in front of me, he puts the bucket down and gets the rag and wets the water and gives it to me, and I wash my face in it, and then I can go on. And so he asked the third individual who was carrying an old car door with him. He said, why are you carrying a car door Here in the middle of a desert. Anyway, he said, well, it's like this. He said, when I've gone as far as I can go, and it gets so hot that I can't make it any further, I just roll down the window. (laughs) And there's a moral to that simply of this, that whatever's in the mind of man, what he feels like is good for him in the midst of his troubles and in the midst of his trials, or then that's what he does, a little to the extreme maybe, but if he could roll that window down and keep cool, it's all right with me. I don't care. Or get some money out of the safe or whatever. But a little extreme, but it lets us know that in some areas, it's actually what's in our mind that, that is needed in our life to see us through our dark days and dark hours. We have been studying on the gifts of the Spirit, but I wasn't aware that people were going to celebrate Thanksgiving early tonight. Or I might have done like most of the pastors, I would have dismissed the service. (laughs) But uh, I'm not used to this. I just Most people just feel like it's time to give thanks to God, and so they just come give thanks to God. So uh, what happened is not the norm, really. All right? Is that all right? Could I scold a little bit? You that are here and also those that are not, it's really not the norm. You give thanks in God's house. That's where you give thanks. You don't give thanks at home. Uh, for that so i have been just more or less wrestling with the lord concerning it and i believe this subject so important to the local assembly that i wish to god it was possible for everyone to be here every time it goes forth uh, not just for me because i can speak to you the same as i can a house will it's immaterial but for the body of christ for you for the betterment of the First Pentecostal Church at Birdseye, and for the betterment of our own personal life, I feel that it is pertinent and it's necessary. I'm really sorry that people don't put that much interest in it. I I think it's a shame as far as God is concerned that he's trying to give us something that would reach down and lift us up out of the uh, status quo and uh, do something in our lives and in our assembly and in our midst that would cause the world to take notice and that would more or less get our lives in, uh, in tune with him in a way that they've never been in tune with him before because what happens if you get the gifts of the spirit and they have free access and free, free flow into the presence of God it eliminates a whole lot of division because uh, they establish fear assured in the hearts of men and if they're operated right individuals we called out for their laxity and so many other things for it and then the presence of God to power gifts and operations and healings and miracles and what have you word of uh, knowledge uh, word of wisdom and discerning of spirits and so many things that the gifts of the spirit and they're all there they're all there with God with his hands out and said here I would like for you to have them and he's saying it is of the utmost necessity that if a church reaches maturity and perfection, they have to be operating in the church. So that's what God is trying to do. So I've been trying to talk with God a little bit, and I think I've got his consensus that we'll forego that and hope for a better interest as far as uh, our own personal gain and goal is concerned and as well as the church is concerned. Hope for a little better interest next uh, Wednesday night. But tonight we're going to talk from 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. going to be reading from the first verse because the Apostle Paul is in a situation here and is expressing some things that you don't find him expressing in any other book. In other words, if you want to see the humanity of Paul and see him as he has struggled with this, and see some of the things that has went on in his life that he really hasn't said much about. Well, you open up the book of 2 Corinthians, and you begin to read, especially right at first, and he sets the stage for so many things he's going to say. First of all, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In other words, there's one of the gifts that God has given to the church that not too many people... Uh, give well, they just don't believe there is such things. We take the other uh, ones to the other fivefold ministry, but we leave prophets and apostles out. and because of that, we leave a whole lot of things out. things that ought to be in the church, it's not in the church. but Paul lets them know that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ not by his own choosing, but by the will of God. and Timothy, our brethren to the church of God, which is at Corinth, all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. I want you to notice this now. Almost the first time, the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. And then he goes on to say, who comforteth us all in our tribulation." Now he's letting us know that all of us are comforted in our tribulation and he tells us why that we have tribulations and why we are comforted in those tribulations. said that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In other words, there is experience. It's not conjecture. It's not something that Uh, somebody told him about. It's something that he has experienced and he's telling us that when we experience tribulation and when we experience problems, we are comforted, if we realize it, by the power of the Holy Ghost. And then after we're comforted, we can comfort others uh, with the same comfort that we ourselves are comforted with. And he goes on to say, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, and you can read that all through Second Corinthians. He also says, so our consolation aboundeth by Christ. In other words, if suffering abounds in our life, and if the Apostle Paul could not escape it, then we can't. But he lets us know that if sufferings abound, then consolations abound. He just seems to tell us this is not one thing that we suffer, but what if we realize that we're consoled through that? Not one thing that we're counted to go through by what the consolation of God is there. So as many as the sufferings is, there's that many consolations. Does that make sense to you? That Apostle Paul is speaking, he says, whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Paul is saying whatever we go through, It ought to be something that would help your life. I don't think he's actually saying that just about himself. I think he's writing that and looking at us perhaps or anybody else that chose to read it and lets us know that whatever we go through, whatever the consolation, whatever the affliction, whatever it is, it is for the help of someone else as well as of herself. In other words, if we can endure with a grin on our face and with hope toward God and Foundation uh, doesn't crumble whatsoever and we come out of that thing stronger than we was when we went in. Why, then they look at our lives and other individuals can say, well, if they did it, so can I. But when we crumble, I mean, when we fall apart, who have God in our life, the world is looking on and they don't see God in our life, so they can't be comforted by the fact, uh, because we haven't been comforted by God. So you see, we have to let God comfort us before we can be of any comfort to this outside world. Perhaps that's why the church is not able to give the comfort that it needs. The consolation that the world needs is because we ourselves have not allowed ourselves to experience the consolation and comfort that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that so many of us fall apart? <laughs> Something drastic happens, some little thing we just might handle. But something drastic happens, everything just grows dark and dim. We come out of our prayer closet and we're uh, on the uh, 11th cloud in heaven and everything is just fine and we come out of that, we're expecting a glorious time and all at once all we see is darkness. All we see is sorrow, all we see is suffering, all we see is contradiction. All we see, in, in other words, of what our, what is our prayer want us? brought his darkness, looks like. But there in the midst of that darkness, Paul is saying, in the midst of our suffering, there is a consolation. There is a comforter. There is somebody that will walk in the midst there and reach out your hand and he'll be there. I think the song says, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. Now the song says that, And you'll notice we have it backwards. Somewhere in the shadows Jesus will find us. (laughs) All right? But uh, the whole Bible is full of it standing somewhere in this darkness. If you search for him, he says, "Eh, just reach for me because you'll find me there someplace. And we've got it backwards. We expect we're just going to stand there and moan and groan until God finds us. But he's in there. He wants us just to search for him. And stretch out a hand. He's not going to be hard to find. He said, I'm not very far from you. Right. I like that. <laughs> Seems like he's a million miles away from us. But he says, I'm just not very far from you at all. The fact Lord, of the message is, I'm so close that all you've got to do is stretch for the hand. And I'm there. But you've got to believe he's there. Amen. Sometimes we want something so tangible. Well, tangibility is not faith. <laughs> all right. But he tells us that. And then he says, our hope of you is steadfast. Yes. I like that. Knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering. In other words, these individuals as well as Paul were suffering. And I like what he said. You're in your suffering, but I'm steadfast. I'm believing in you. The reason I'm believing in you is simply because uh, not only are you partakers of suffering, but you're also of consolation. And he says, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength in so much that we despaired of our life, even of life. Now you see, almost this is the first time that the Apostle Paul has felt that it would be all right to share his problems with the church. And I think he's giving a lesson to all of us and I think perhaps he's giving a lesson to leadership and to ministers that it's all right. For us to share our problems with the church. It's all right for us to admit uh, our failures, and if somebody has uh, uh, done us in uh, through the week, and somebody has mocked us or put us down through the week, or somebody has been unkind to us, somebody has tore us down, and somebody's tried to destroy us, the Apostle Paul is saying, maybe you need to share those things with somebody that you have confidence in. To realize that if they know what's going on. See, every time you present your whole life as peaches and cream. I met people and I say, how are you? Oh, I'm just fine today. And you know, way down deep inside, they're not fine. What they're doing is lying to you and lying to themselves. And I had a minister friend of mine. He's still that way. And I tell him, look, I know something is wrong with you. Because the Spirit impressed me that it was. And don't lie to me. Don't you tell me that everything's fine. I want to establish such a rapport with you that you can tell me what your problem is. Not going to go any farther. I think the Apostle Paul is telling uh, this church that... In spite of what I wrote to you in First Corinthians and the things that I had to get rough on you about spiritual gifts and meats and uh, saints forbidden to go to war with another, and he called them carnal in some states, in spite of all of this, he said, You have responded. You have responded to that whipping that I gave you. You didn't rebel. You just responded. You knew it was in your life and you responded to that which makes my hope steadfast in you. And now that you have responded, let me share a little bit of the heavies that's went on in my life. Let me tell you about a few things that's happened in my life. And he said, For we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves. See, sometimes God just brings us so low because we are so hard-headed. We are so thick-headed that, that we simply just won't turn it over to him until he bends us so low that there's nothing these hands can do and this mind can think and these eyes can see or this mouth can speak to deliver us from this. And Paul said that, that he had the sentence of death in himself and he had this because God wanted to prove to him that he couldn't trust in himself. Great a man as he was, Paul realized he couldn't trust in himself, but in the God who raiseth the dead. And this is a scripture I wanted to get to. Who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in which we trust that he will yet deliver us. I wanted to talk about a little while tonight, and this is just kind of put on the floor like popcorn, and it's uh, not too in-depth study, so... Uh, You just bear with me and pray that the Holy Spirit maybe will speak something. uh, That's beyond us. (laughs) You know, if the Holy Ghost can do that to my wife and cause her to say things beyond her, He can do that to me. Amen. But I want to talk tonight about the three tenses of our Christian faith and three tenses of our confidence. Natural man is motivated. The world is motivated by theories. Almost everything that man does, it's, it's a theory. He's motivated by conjectures, by possibilities, and by suppositions. And uh, when you look at great men in the Bible, Apostle Paul is one of them, but there's so many more. Great men in the Bible, when they write concerning the power of God and what has happened in their life and things that God has brought them through, uh, there's no theory about that. There's no conjectures. There's not an idea that it, it maybe it's possible. And there's no supposition, and they don't theorize on that. They're passing on experiences that they've had in their life. In other words, they're passing on, Paul is passing on to us fact. Fact because it happened to him. I'm wondering today if maybe we don't live on the facts of Moses. Maybe we don't live on the facts of Elijah. Maybe we don't live on the facts of Daniel, the three Hebrew children, the Apostle Paul and Peter. And maybe sometimes we live on the fact of the outpouring of early Pentecost. And all the things that we read about concerning the uh, miraculous things that happened and a mighty rushing wind that filled the houses, not only in Jerusalem, but when Pentecost was first poured out. I wonder sometimes that we don't live on their facts. Amen. And I'm wondering sometimes if God is not wanting the present-day church to press in and get something and experience something so they can pass it on as fact. So that when we look back over past experiences, we can say, that's a fact. That happened to me. And we can look back and Paul leaves us a great history. Elijah, well, let's look at Moses, a great history there. There's, there's no conjectures as far as Moses is concerned. He heard what God had to say, and he took the responsibility after much coercion from God, and he took the responsibility, and when he relates what happened uh, coming out of Egypt, and when he relates what happened at the Red Sea, and when he re- relates what happened at the bitter waters of Mara, And when he relates all of the things that happened during the journeys and wonders in in the wilderness, he is relating things that he experienced and saw with his very eyes. And he writes it down and the scriptures tell us that we learn from that. But not only do we learn from that, we realize that if they had those things, we need them also. And you can look at the Hebrew children. When we read about them, they're testifying about a fact that man can go into a furnace that's heated seven times hotter than naturally heated, and they're testifying to the fact that you can go in there and you can come out without even the smell of smoke on you, and to the fact that the third man will always be in the fire. They're testifying to a fact. Now then, Paul is trying to say, well, you're not going to probably, at least not for a while yet, be put into a fiery furnace, naturally. But so many of us have been thrown into our fiery furnaces spiritually. The Bible says, as though some strange thing has happened to you. In other words, Satan has come and he's grabbed you. You've been a good person. You've stood for God. And he's come and grabbed you and he said, I'll just throw you in to this furnace and here's the flames licking at us and here's the darkness around about us and, and here's everything that ought to destroy us and God is wanting us to look around because there's going to be a third man in our fire <laughs> hallelujah there's going to be somebody there that third man one of the goings forth of God in place before he's coming there's always going to be a third man in every fire that God puts us in and we've got to realize that. Now the three Hebrew children said we don't know what's going to happen to us. And a lot of us when we're in the furnace, we really don't know for sure what's going to happen. But they did say it really doesn't matter because we know one thing, we're steadfast. And we know one thing for sure, we're simply not going to bow down to you. In other words, we're not giving up on our experience. We're not giving up on our God. I realize it don't look so good for us now. I realize if you ask us where our God is, we couldn't really tell you as far as that's concerned because there's no manifestation of His greatness and power. But they were saying we don't always need a manifestation to believe Him. Amen? I think they want us to see the same thing. We don't always need a manifestation to know that God is there. They ought to be enough in this book to prove to us and they ought to be enough in our past life to prove to us that he's there. And he's going to see us through. So you look at the Hebrew children, at Daniel, you can look at Elijah, and you can look at the Apostle Paul. Now, past tense, Paul said, who delivered us from so great a death? And that's past tense. And Paul looks back over the dangers Paul looks back over the difficulties that he's had, and he does this again and again and again. Somebody's always said, don't look back. Well, that means don't look any farther back than when your Christian experience began. Don't look back in the world, but you can look back over the times that God has been so gracious to you. You see, I've never got past my trip to Calvary. Amen? I've never got beyond that. Almost every day sometimes I need to go back, I need to look at the time, When this old boy's whole life was before him, there wasn't anything left, and mankind didn't care, and I didn't care much, but Jesus cared. I have to look back over that time when by myself God came into my life, and I knew he did, and sometimes that's about all I have to carry me through for a while. So I look back to that, and I look back over past times when he's raised me up and all of this, and that's past tense. He has delivered me. How many of you here, God has delivered? Just lift your hand, wave a little bit. He has delivered me. He has delivered me. And that's fine because he has. But the apostle Paul goes on to say, and doth deliver. That's present. You see, now we've got a God that has. And we like that because we can experience that as a fact. It's not a conjecture. It's not a theory. We don't have to have it proved to us. We already know it. And so that is past and that's a fact. But Paul said now he still does deliver. Amen? In other words, all the deliverance is not way back yon. Way back then. It's not all way back when God first uh, poured Pentecost out. Uh, It's not way back in the upper room in the early church. It's not there. It's not back in the early days of Pentecost. It's not even back yesterday. It's present. It's today. It's right now. He's still the same God, isn't He? What does He say? I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So, if anybody changes, guess who does? Amen. It has to be us. And Paul said, "Now He doth deliver." And now you can read. I'm not going to take time to do that, but he goes on the eleventh chapter, twenty-second, twenty-eighth verse, and he talks about the things that God had delivered him from and uh, you know things that he had been through and shipwrecks and all of these things and so he's not theorizing he don't have conjectures he's not supposing this has happened to him already and then he goes on to say that that it, it is also a delivery you see Paul knew nothing of surrender I like this man's life and you ought to read him you ought to follow after him because he knew nothing of surrender and he knew nothing of second best the Apostle Paul never thought of himself as second best. He always thought of himself as a child of God which made him the best. Amen. Amen. So many times we look at ourselves and, and say we're a worm and we're filthy rags in God's eyes. Well, we're not. We're not a worm. We're a son of God. And he just tells us, he never tells us we're as filthy rags. He says our righteousness is as filthy rags. And when he gets us and when he cleans us up and when he loves us and when he puts his presence inside of us, don't you dare take second best at anything. And don't you dare look at yourself and say, I'm just a worm. You're making God out of a liar because he tells us we're the son of God. And he tells us we're the salt of the earth. <laughs> Let's no. us know that we're the lily, the valley, and the bright and morning star. And so many things God tells us we are. And Paul had found something that worked. Right. I like that. Have you ever saw people that when they find something that works, they want to try to do it better? Amen. And they just ruin the whole thing. See, that's humanity. They're they're never satisfied. Now, if something doesn't work, and we've tried to say this so often, if something doesn't work, let's not be too proud to discard it and try something else. The only person that has never failed or made a mess out of things is the individual who's never done anything. And that's why so many churches are just churches. Amen? Because we just don't aim to try anything. Everything we've tried thus far hasn't really worked to the success that it should. Now, we have to admit that, don't we? That God is looking for something greater than we have presented to Him. Okay, if it hasn't worked, what's wrong with looking around and trying to find something that will? I'll tell you what, will, a better prayer life, more fasting, more concern about God, more concern about your fellow man, more concern about the house of God, and more concern about the world in general. Those will make things work that have never ceased to work. But Paul found something that would work, and he knew it because he tried it. He knew confidence, and I like this. He knew confidence from his past experiences. And we need to re-catch that note. And the church has lost too much of that. Amen? I'm not saying we can live back there. We shouldn't live back there. But there are times, and there are days, when we need to catch the fresh vision and what God has done should not be supposing we shouldn't gather on the fact. I mean, don't look at something in somebody else's life. If you have never experienced a healing, don't look at somebody else's life. Because they have. You look at something that has happened in your life. And you won't have to look any farther than the cross. I mean, if nothing else has happened to you since you went to Calvary, Since you knelt at an old-fashioned altar prayer, once you put your burdens to the Lord and you left them there, if nothing else has happened to you, you know there was a change happened in your life that day. And that's good for today too. But if you haven't had an experience in your life, draw from that and it's nice to Rejoice. What experiences has happened in other individuals' life? But what I'm trying to say is you can't live on that. That's theirs. And you can rejoice in it. But when you're destitute, when you're down and out, and when you need something to hold on to, an anchor of the soul, look at a fact that is a fact in your life. And get a hold of it and hold on to it that's that's something in the early church the the church early days the church swept the world i mean it just exploded came out of the upper room and exploded not because of their tenets not because of their doctrines not because of their laws and bylaws not because of the idiocracies, idiosyncrasies. Not because of the isms and their schisms. That's not what made the church explode and encompass and pull in soul after soul. That's not what did it. It was their love for God and the joy that they had and things that they looked back on and realized that was there and also at the present. Things that was happening to them and things they were making happen. You see, the church needs to make something happen. We can't just sit back and say, Spirit, do it. He won't. He's not going to jerk you out of your seat and run you down the aisle. He's not going to do that. There has to be some willingness on you to be responsive to Him. And that's what God is weeding on. Now, He's not asking you to walk in the back of the pews. There's more important things to do than that. Amen? He's not asking you to do something stupid or silly. There's too many important things to do than that. But he is asking us to awaken to the realization that, hey, something actually has happened in my life. And you that those happenings. And they preferred the noise abroad, the love of God. Now, if anybody had any reason, I don't know if I ought to say this (laughs) or not, If anybody had any reason to sit down and look at the things that was not like God in the church and say there's just simply no use, it can't happen. The early church had as many problems in its infancy as we have now. Just as many. It had rebellious individuals. It had heretics. It had abuse and misuse of the gifts. And all of those things. And they could have sat down and zeroed in on those things and ripped their own body apart. But instead, they zeroed in on the marvelous things that God had done in their midst and done in their lives. And that church went on and exploded. They failed.